1: Are you troubled by stale podcasts in the middle of the night?
2: Do you love films that feature the busting of spooks, specters, or ghosts?
3: If the
1: answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Ghostbusters Resurrection is an RPG audio drama combining tabletop gaming and cinematic paranormal elimination adventures. Call the professionals at nerdyshow.com slash ghostbusters.
2: We're ready to believe you. Nerdy
1: Show Book Club is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds Across the multiverse All Nerdy Show programming is made possible By A hey Comic Shop Orlando's number one comic shop And nerd destination And with the generous support Of listeners like you To learn how you can support this And other fine geek programming Visit nerdyshow.com
3: Butterfly.
1: Welcome to Nerdy Show Book Club, an adventure into literature where we discuss the varied text based tomes we've been poring over, do dramatic readings from some of the worst and weirdest books we can find, and read a nerdy book together as a community. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Brandon.
0: Hi, I'm Danica. Hey, I'm Jess.
1: This episode is dedicated entirely to our community read along book, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. And this release is also a bit complicated. If you listened to our prior episode, I go into detail about our new format for Nerdy Show Book Club as well as the circumstances that this episode and the last one were recorded in. But here's the rundown. What you're about to hear was recorded October 15th, 2016. Our discussion of The Handmaid's Tale was an unintentionally timely selection happening right before the 2016 American presidential election. Not surprisingly, the uncertainty of that event was a major topic of discussion with this particular book. Our post-production was delayed, and soon after, the world was fundamentally changed, with an endless stream of disturbing events that are still ongoing, as I'm sure you well know. Or maybe you don't, because we've all been obliterated. Or maybe you're someone in the distant future looking for a record of what the world was like before the slate was cleansed by the nuclear burp of humanity's maliciousness personified. (laughs) But I digress. Given that some of our conversation had become suddenly both irrelevant and more relevant than we'd ever want, we shelved the episode, knowing that we need to add to it and give it some special attention to spruce it up for release. and. That's just what we've done. In this episode, you'll hear us discuss Margaret Atwood's landmark book in a spoiler-free review. Then we do a dramatic reading, and then we get into that spoilerific discussion that includes us reflecting on the book one year later and reviewing and discussing the Handmaid's Tale TV adaptation that debuted in early 2017. Last episode of Book Club, we had a lot of fun discussing the books we read. So, is everybody ready to be sobered up? No. <laughs> Let's. Not <really.
3: laughs>
1: It's time to talk about Handmaid's Tale. It's a dystopian fiction novel written by Margaret Atwood about a society called Gilead where women have no rank or class. They're purely servants. They are there for the specific reason of breeding or comfort women, depending on mm-hmm. where you are. If you're too old, you get shipped off to the colonies. Mm-hmm. And if your ovaries work, you get turned into
3: basically a live-in sex doll. You're not allowed to read if you're a woman. You're not allowed to write. You can't go out by yourself. You can't drive cars. Most of science is pretty much denied in this culture. I didn't outright say it, but you pretty much have to be a white male. If you're not, they ship you to another country, they say, but really, I think they're just drowning you in the ocean. And you have to be the exact same religion or you'll possibly be executed.
0: It is a a monotheocracy.
3: Was this the first book I've actually read written by a female author?
0: Cuz uh, I don't know. I might it might
3: actually be the first one I read. Well, Brandon, normally I would say it's impossible except you, you don't know. read. you don't so read. Yeah, so that's, it's I've been quite reading impossible. since book club started. Thank you. J.R. Tolkien's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, not. Jennifer Reese Tolkien, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. The only other episode that I was on was Even Adam. Well,
0: it was co-authored though. Mm-hmm. I guess did you read that, Brandon? Yeah,
3: I don't I I remember reading parts of it. I think I finished it. It was a while. So you may have read some
0: it. words that may or may okay. not have been penned by a woman.
3: This one was far better in my opinion, <laughs> but that's just my opinion.
0: But don't take his word for it. Yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> this was my suggestion, although I'm kind Thanks of... Thanks for that. No, it was a good read. <laughs> I'm kind of more interested to see what those here born with genitalia of the male persuasions opinions are on this book, um... To me I think of this book as a horror story. Yeah. Basically, it's fair. if anything, bone-chilling horror.
1: It's about being a slave and it's about being a prisoner.
0: It's so weird with the vagina. Because I had the
3: opposite reaction when I was reading this book. I was like, finally someone's putting women in their place. I cannot wait for this future. So for me it was like reading about, you know, paradise. So it's so weird how we're both opposite on this on the spectrum of this book. It's so weird.
1: So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'll, just kidding, by the way. I'll, see you, I'm just kidding. I'll
0: you, see you in three hours when you've walked home. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had some feelings from the Nerdy Show Book Club fandom. Yeah. When, when we do this with these read alongs, we get feedback from you guys as to what you thought about them. Actually, all the feedback we got pertained to us going into reading Handmaid's Tale. For example, we heard from Delphi, and she said, Gotta be honest, I'm really not looking forward to this one. I actually read Handmaid's Tale for a unit on dystopian literature in high school, and though all the selections were pretty dull, Handmaid's Tale had been particularly bad. The morals it was trying to instill were just too heavy-handed, in my opinion. Maybe it's just because anything where religion or societal norms are used as an excuse for oppression is really off-putting for me. Nonetheless, I'm willing to give it another shot for the sake of book club, or at least go over a Cliff Notes version of it before the next episode. Given that it's been almost a decade since then, I may find it more tolerable now than I had as a teenage girl.
3: Hmm. I found the book tolerable, but the themes of it were too real. <laughs> were, it was <laughs> yeah. frustrating because I could see this happening if certain things came to fruition.
0: I, I won't deny the themes are upsetting. Like I said, it's, it's like a, a horror story. But that being said, I still find it an enjoyable read. This is the second time I've read it. I read it again for book club so I could take notes because I just read it for myself before. I found a lot of stuff in the book that actually was pertinent to today, which is really fucking scary yep, to think about. For sure. Um, I'm also a Debbie Downer, as they say. So it's hard for me to be like, no, this book is great. Because, I mean, no, I think it's a really good book. But, yeah, it's, it's a downer. I mean, but... <laughs> I would
1: contest that it's not dull. It's about being you prison. Know, it's not but, dull, I don't think. But at at Atwood has such a extremely masterful handle on the English language that, for all of the horrible things it describes, it is so beautifully written. All of it, especially because the main character has nothing but her own mind to basically keep her company. Right. And the lens of seeing the world through that character is, well, it's a very strong lens. It's a very fascinating lens. And there's just some very wonderful wordplay.
2: I actually found it difficult to get started with. And I don't know if it was just because it was the iPad version or what, but kind of the lack of quotes denoting where there was like starting in conversations and ending was something that really took a lot of getting used to for me. And so it really wasn't until about halfway that I really got into it. So I think just as a PSA, in case I'm not the only one, I might not have finished it if it wasn't for book club and me needing to get through it. But it definitely got way, way more interesting, like a third or half of the way through.
3: I am right Um, there with you because the first half of the book, she used some sort of literary technique, I'm assuming. I don't know the name of it where there will be conversations or she'll be thinking to herself and suddenly you're in a different scene with a different person and you're like, I don't remember getting here, what's happening? And you realize later that she's just like daydreaming about the past, but there's no clear cut beginning or end of that conversation. She's just talking to someone and then she's talking to someone else and you're like, what is happening?
2: I didn't really research a whole lot about what the book was about before I started into it. I was just like, okay, I will read this. So I literally had no idea what the premise was, what was going on. I was like, why am I at the school and I'm not at the school? Or like, now I'm in the house. Like, what is this world? What is this thing that's being portrayed? And it really becomes a lot more clear later. And it it actually made me just want to go back and go through a second read because I feel like I would really appreciate this a lot more now that I have kind of a firmer footing in what's happening in this story.
0: I guess you have to come at it realizing that that first third or two-thirds of the book, it's all inner
3: It's in her head. It's
0: inner monologue. Yeah. It's so all in her head. When so her you, head
3: trails off to another thought, it, immediately the writing goes there. It doesn't just tell right, you, now I'm gonna think about this. It just goes in there. the
0: in the same way that you or I would think. Yeah, exactly. And you'd just be suddenly in a memory and then maybe into another one. So yeah, like I right guess now I, when I I'm talking that, to
3: you, I'm thinking about a hot dog I ate like two weeks ago.
0: <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> I don't mean to, but my brain just, like just does that. that. And and because she can't speak Most of the time, I guess I like that. I don't know if it's a literary device or not.
3: And it also showed the main character would be dealing with a situation that no one would ever have to deal with. And suddenly she's escaping. She's not telling you she's escaping. Her mind just starts trailing off. And you're like, wow, if I was in this really fucked up world, where like, say I'm being basically raped right now. Yeah, my head's going to be trailing off into another world and not just going there instantly. And I
0: I think that's very purposeful. Like, she is in her head because she has to be. There's nowhere else for her to go. So
3: I like that and was actually disappointed that they didn't use that as much near the end of the book. I actually wanted more of it once I got used to it. I was like, I want more of it. And then there was no more of it. I was like, well, okay, I guess I have to finish this book. I just got to get it over with.
1: No Namer said, I remember reading this one in high school. It's not the best dystopian fiction out there, but I think it still has a place in serving as a warning against assuming authoritarian doctrines as fact. And uh, Nathaniel said, I've read one other Margaret Atwood book years ago, and I've always wanted to read more. The book was Oryx and Crake, and apparently has been turned into something called the Mad Adam trilogy. Mm -hmm. Oryx and Crake and its sequels are also dystopian science fiction, and Oryx and Crake was a fantastic read. In that book, Atwood does what any great master of science fiction does: takes modern concepts, things that are breaking news in the sciences, and takes them to some of their logical conclusions, and the results are disastrous. It's been a long time since I've read it, but I've been wanting to reread it and finally read its sequels. Because I've been so taken with that book, I've long had other Atwood books on my list to read. Book Club was a great excuse to finally read The Handmaid's Tale, so thank you. This one has taken me some time to get through, but that's mostly on me, having less time to read lately. Atwood, in my opinion, Has her skills as a great writer on full display here. Her subtle but powerful phrasings often make me pause. In addition, it's impossible not to empathize with our protagonist. I'm finally the part of the book where the actual revolution that leads to all these awful societal changes is being discussed, and it's unsettling, especially given our current cultural climate. For me, it's been a difficult book to get through at times because it's so bleak. In that way, it really does remind me of Cormac McCarthy's The Road, or Atwood's Oryx and Crake, or even The Walking Dead. Society is mutated into something so ugly, it's hard to dwell in these pages. But I'm dying to see what becomes of our hero in the situation. I have daughters of my own, and the image of this character being torn from her child and forced into this crazed form of slavery is gut-wrenching. I'm looking forward to finishing this one, hopefully in time for the show and your
3: discussion. And it's actually a rather short book. Like I mean, I read it
1: it's, once it's I picked not it up. It's long, I but read yeah, I can see quickly. how it's
0: difficult. I've actually, I've read the Mad Adam trilogy, oh, yeah? which I read probably after I read Handmaid's Tale the first time. And I really like that series. I would actually say that those books are to me, a little more challenging in the way that they're written. Because those are more science fiction, Uh and she writes in a very literary way, not in, you know, the 10 books I read in the last two months. Like, those are all very easy, digestible- There's a poetry to her words. Sci-fi, fantasy. Yeah. Reading Margaret Atwood is challenging in a good way. Mm. It's not like reading Pulp Fiction, basically. Right. But I did enjoy that series.
1: I mean, overall, I really love this book. It was very, very well made. It is obviously horrible. Everything that's happening in it is horrible. It's a tremendous cautionary tale, and it's no surprise that following our mentioning of this being the book club item for this episode, it started showing up a hell of a lot. Well, in politics, the, in, yeah, in in the rest of the world, and basically. religion
3: and everything. Yeah,
1: the book came out in
3: 1986. So, how are they so accurate? <laughs> to like, I so they called it, nailed it. I don't, it's so, that's weird. I thought it was a relatively new book. Well,
2: there was actually- No, Brandon, I still have time to get out. That's
3: <laughs> what I'm clinging
2: <laughs> yeah, We to. There still isn't. have time to get, get, out. get out.
3: I've read it. I know there's nowhere to go. No, you can go can to go Canada. To
2: Australia? Australia, kangaroos. It's cool.
3: Didgeridoos. Live in a pouch. No rules, just right. The problem is though, by the time you know you have to leave, it's too late. They've already got things set up.
1: That's true.
0: Talking about how now this book is, there was actually a quote that I had highlighted that I was like, what the hell? It was after the catastrophe when they shot the president and machine gunned the Congress and the army declared a state of emergency. They blamed it on the Islamic fanatics at the time. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs>
3: that sounds about yeah. right. And this was and 30 I mean, years and I, ago. In, in
0: the 80s, yes. I mean, we've been having trouble with the Middle East for a long time. But the fact that that still fucking rings true. Is Wait, just... wasn't the
3: 80s when we were arming them and training them? Y- yes. yes. Yeah, th- yeah, so we weren't having but that problems we with them. that
0: was because we were probably them. trying to get rid of one set of fanatics and then we brought in another. So I weird. think is pretty much what happened.
3: Well what we have learned is that none of, none of us know history let's, properly. Let's call it a gross oversimplification, but yes.
0: <laughs> I do need to give a warning, and Brandon actually ran into this. The very ending, if you're reading the digital version, it
3: cuts
1: off right. It gets cut that. off
0: because it it looks to the app like it's an afterword and like you may not want to necessarily read it. Make sure you absolutely got to the end of the book.
3: Okay,
1: you're right. <laughs> if
0: you're reading the digital version, because you may miss something.
1: In the 30 years, Handmaid's Tale has been adapted quite a bit. There was a film in 1990, so just four years after the book coming out and becoming a bestseller. It's had a a BBC radio play adaptation, a Canadian radio play adaptation, an opera, a ballet, a stage adaptation. The Canadian band Lakes of Canada released a concept album inspired by The Handmaid's Tale called Transgressions. I would like to hear that, please, right now. We'll link to it on this episode's page. So Uh, this is a popular book. Yeah, it's a big deal. And this new Hulu series is starring Elizabeth Moss as Alfred from Mad Men, Joseph Fiennes as the Commander, and Samiria Wiley as Moira.
0: Claire Danes did the audio for this digital version. <laughs> I prefer
3: Morgan Freeman.
0: <laughs> as Alfred? Yeah, that'd be great. Or it it's probably should be of Fred since. That's where the names come it from. It took me a bit yeah. reading of it going Glenn, like of Fred. they described that she
3: was wearing red, and I was like, why is her name off red? Oh. I've heard I've heard of off white. <laughs> off red. I was like, What's off red? Well, there
0: weren't two F's, number yeah. one. That was your first clue. First
3: off, I read a lot. I don't. But secondly, yeah, I realized later when they were just named after the commanders, they're stationed with.
0: Meaning that their names changed.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, you know what's fun about
1: that? And by fun I mean I don't know, it's actually just a weird fact. Is that you actually do get Ufford's
3: name in the movie? Yeah, but are they just making it up, or is that sanctioned know. by the author? Is it canon?
0: That I, seems like a. I don't think I like that. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think, think yeah, I like that that's either. a big that,
3: deal, especially for the ending part. That yeah, that makes no sense. Know. They
0: shouldn't have given her a name. Did they think it was too difficult for people to grasp? You can't relate to a character because it doesn't have a name. I think uh, that's the point.
1: Well, that's very that's very possible. <laughs> I'm a little angry. They also did that same thing. You know how up until very recently. In a superhero film, you wouldn't see many superhero films where an actor's entire face would be covered as they would be in the comic books. Mm. Probably due to Screen Actors Guild jurisdictions or something, you had to see a certain portion of that person's face and so on and so forth. Well, in the film adaptation of Handmaid's Tale, they don't wear the white wimple hats that hide their faces. They just wear a red veil. Which,
3: lead, yeah, that's so stupid. Like they wear a veil and then they also have these kind of winged blinders like a horse so they can only see straight ahead. And,
1: and not the, the wimple side. has
0: so many like connotations and like
1: uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's that's There's a meaning to it. It's totally a thing that happened because it was a movie, you know.
0: Although, are you talking veil like
1: I'm talking like, they, like Vicky, <laughs> Vicky veil. I'm talking about like it's a transparent mesh over their faces. Well, that's what I pictured they wore in the book.
0: Except so like, they have a hat these white wings. The they have
3: these wings that cover the sides of their face, so that. Well, they yeah.
0: Can't have you see. ever seen like the flying nun? You, you know, if you yeah, take—I don't think it's like
3: that. You take like a little, a little sexy piece of lingerie and you drape it over a uh, a lamp and make the room all red. That kind of. <sighs> yeah, I did that once in my room. Cap. Nobody found it sexy. Thank you. And I tried to bring girls <laughs> up there, and they said, "No, you're just a serial killer." <laughs> so yeah, it didn't work. Thank you. Aside from comparing the
1: films, we can get more into those comparisons later, perhaps. The actual real-world implications of Handmaid's Tale, we got a heads-up from Scott John Harrison, a.k.a. Shaded Sprider, who put us on to some news coming out of Italy, an article called The Fertility Day Fiasco by Giulia Blasi. And this is where Italy's Minister of Health, Beatrice Lorenzen, who's a woman with a terrible track record, she started a campaign intent on undermining family planning and encouraging young women to get pregnant as a duty and basically the be-all-end-all of existence. There was a campaign of postcards sent out that had really bizarre clip art and messages like, Beauty knows no age, fertility does. Hurry up, don't wait for the stork. A picture of a dripping (laughs) faucet that says, Fertility is a common good. Wow. A picture of two baby shoes that says, The Constitution protects conscious and responsible procreation. And then my personal favorite, a picture of two people's feet under a blanket, definitely going at it because one pair of feet is up and one pair of feet is down. But in the pair of feet that's facing up, there's a smiley face stress ball kind of in between the feet. And then it says, young parents, the best way to be creative.
3: <laughs> what? What? Huh? Young parents, the best. I've seen young parents and they're fucking morons. They're all <laughs> fucking idiots.
0: What is their birth rate at like negative 10? Yeah, like- if anything,
3: Japan needs
1: birth, um, yeah. birth rate. Say, yeah.
0: I'm sure it's not great. It's
1: not great. Because but it,
0: it's Western Europe.
1: For purely economic reasons, really like unemployment is at 42 percent that's because there's no people (laughs) gender-based discrimination is illegal but it's not uncommon for job interviews to include personal questions about fertility and having children and you're not guaranteed to get your job back when you return from maternity leave.
3: Wait, I'm confused. Sorry. I have to speak out and say an unemployment rate of 42% means you have tons of people, not enough jobs. Making more people is not going to suddenly make more jobs. That's It means you don't have enough jobs. If you have 42% unemployment, those people are not working. There are no jobs.
0: It's more complicated. It's actually more complicated no, than that. I yes. promise you, the no, math is there. No, unfortunately, it's if you have a low birth rate, you will eventually run out of people who can work. And so people, you're saying and those people people 42% are...
3: are all old and infirm.
1: Yeah, because that's
0: what happens when you don't when there's no birth. It's all old people. It's
1: just like Japan all over. Also, (laughs) surrogacy is illegal and same-sex adoption is illegal. Of course, it is. So
0: they're not really helping their own fucking case, are they? No, and this is not
1: even like a real crisis. What's what's a real crisis is the unemployment rate. But this woman just going off on her insane. uh, It's Italy. What do you want? I mean, it's where the Vatican lives. It's true. There's no sex education in schools. Yeah, and they'll do it. They have a a law that regulates abortion that's become impossible to enforce due to the high number of conscientious objectors in public hospitals. So 70% of gynecologists refuse to perform abortions. Nice. Yeah. So Italy, it's a lovely place to visit, but uh, they got problems. And this uh, minister of health, she's famous for uh, saying that there's there's, like a health crisis in an area. She said it was just due to like not eating well or something when in fact (laughs) there was toxic dumping. Of course. Mm.
3: Where's the ads for pandas? Because they need to get... To humping, <laughs> they're about to die. They need more babies. Where are their ads?
2: Not in Italy. They're very picky. I was actually I was at the Australia Zoo. Very quick side tangent, uh and they were trying to get two pandas to mate, and like the female panda was just like not having it, and so they had to keep them separate, and then they had to like slowly reintroduce the male panda so that she would think he's like a new man that she might want to meet with or a new <laughs> he panda. Came, he panda came back
3: with a mustache, I'm like <laughs> oh this is a completely new panda, <laughs> completely that? new. Listen, pandas they just want to fucking die let them that sucks but they're like we're wise we know it's time
2: they know which way this whole global warming thing is going. Like we're just let's let's get out now.
3: Like they're done. If they do, we if,
2: really yeah. need them for anything.
0: They they just no. I mean, they're just
3: a waste of fucking space. But they're, <laughs> they're cute. They're just adorable, and the
1: inherent cuteness of the panda bears help fund the World
0: Wildlife gift, Federation. World yeah, yeah. I mean, in
1: <laughs> <and, and laughs> gift shop purchases at the National Zoo, the ecosystem right. definitely has gotten over them. So this campaign, this bullshit Fertility Day campaign, was originally slated for September twenty second. But Julia Blasi tweeted to us. She was a part of this Twitter discussion that we had with Scott. She said, thankfully, unlike in Gilead, the backlash has been immediate and fierce. However, though the first campaign was recalled, it came back with a different platform that had a more inexplicably offensive campaign. Their new slogan is, fuck you. Let's talk about health. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about hell. Health. (laughs) Let's talk about hell. (laughs) And it basically says, stay away from cigarettes and drugs and booze while you're pregnant. But they have these nationwide events for probably poorly attended uh, roundtables on reproductive health. But they hand out brochures with the front reading, good habits to be encouraged, bad buddies to be abandoned. And the good habits are represented by clip art of smiling white people who don't look Italian at all. And the bad buddies are people of color smoking up.
3: Look, I don't want to be the guy who blames religion on Italy's messes. But I'm going to blame religion on Italy's messes. And I'm sorry if you're Catholic, but man, Italy's fucked up. <laughs> Wonderful
1: place to visit, though.
3: Yeah, Highly I recommend guess. it. Just don't live there. I mean, the money you're going to pay for their food is going to support all this shit. But Venice go for it. Venice is nice. Yeah, it's going to be underwater soon. Not really. So, so go to Venice before it's underwater? Yeah. Mm, just, I'll, I'll see it with a fucking... Scu- I'll get my scuba gear diving degree, whatever the fuck it's called, certification. No, you'll
0: just be swimming in poop. You, you oh, know. You're
3: you know. right. All the poop that it's floats like, up canals. after it yeah, sinks. Yeah, you don't, you
0: don't want to... Okay, well, that'll be something cool you to see. You don't want to sw- swim in the Venice <laughs> canals.
3: Come to the Venice canals, where we have poop as much as you have jellyfish, just swimming everywhere. <laughs> what were we talking well, about? We, uh, we, we were talking a handmaid's about tale.
1: Handmaid's Tail. Here's a reading from The Handmaid's Tale to give you a little bit of feel for the vibe of this book. It's a very fascinating scene. It's one of the few instances where we see the kind of sci-fi aspects of the book. There's very few of them, but this is just a a moment, a rare moment of two characters interacting, actually, and some weird sci-fi stuff going on. Trying,
3: trying to interact as much as they're allowed without (laughs) spies seeing them interacting.
2: At the corner is the store known as Soul Scrolls. There are soul scrolls in every city center, in every suburb, or so they say. The window of soul scrolls is shatterproof. Behind it are printout machines, row on row of them. These machines are known as holy rollers, but only among us. What the machines print is prayers. Roll upon roll, prayers going out endlessly. They're ordered by a compu phone. I overheard the commander's wife doing it. Ordering prayers from soul scrolls is supposed to be a sign of piety and faithfulness to the regime. So, of course, the commander's wives do it a lot. It helps their husbands' careers. There are five different prayers. For health, wealth, a death, a birth, a sin. You pick the one you want, punch in the number, then punch in your own number so your account will be debited, and punch in the number of times you want the prayer to be repeated. The machines talk as they print out their prayers. If you like, you can go inside and listen to them. The toneless, metallic voices repeating the same thing over and over. Once the prayers have been printed out and said, the prayer rolls back and through another slot and is recycled into fresh paper again. There are no people inside the building, the machines run by themselves. You can't hear the voices from outside, only a murmur, a hum, like a devout crowd on its knees. Each machine has an eye painted in gold on the side, flanked by two small golden wings. I try to remember what this place sold when it was a store, before it turned into soul scrolls. I think it was lingerie. Pink and silver boxes. Colored pantyhose. Braziers with lace. Silk scarves? Something lost. Ofglen and I stand outside soul scrolls, looking through the shatterproof windows, watching the prayers well out from the machines and disappear again through the slot, back to the realm of the unsaid. Now I shift my gaze. What I see is not the machines, but of Glenn reflected in the glass of the window. She's looking straight at me. We can see into each other's eyes. This is the first time I've seen of Glenn's eyes, directly, steadily, not a slant. Her face is oval, pink, plump, but not fat her eyes, roundish. She holds my stare in the glass, level, unwavering. Now it's hard to look away. There's a shock in seeing. It's like seeing someone naked for the first time. There's risk suddenly in the air between us, where there was none before. Even this meeting of eyes holds danger, though there's nobody near. At last, Ofglen speaks. Do you think God listens? To these machines? She is whispering. In the past, this would have been a trivial enough mark, a kind of scholarly speculation. Right now, it's treason. I could scream. I could run away. I could turn from her silently to show her I won't tolerate this kind of talk in my presence. Subversion, sedition, blasphemy, heresy, all rolled into one. I steal myself. No, I say. She lets out her breath, in a long sigh of relief. We have crossed the invisible line together. Neither do I. Though I suppose it's faith of a kind, I say, like Tibetan prayer wheels. What are those? I only read about them, I say. They are moved around by the wind. They're all gone now. Like everything. Only now do we stop looking at one another. Is it safe here? I whisper. I figure it's the safest place.
0: We look like we're praying, is all. What about them? Them? She says, still whispering. You're always safest out of doors. No Mike. And why would they put one here? They'd think nobody would dare, but we've stayed long enough. There's no sense in being late getting back. We turn away together. Keep your head down as we walk, and lean just a
2: little towards me. That way I can hear you better. Don't talk when there's anyone coming. We walk, heads bent as usual. I'm so excited I can hardly breathe, but I keep a steady pace. Now, more than ever, I must avoid drawing attention to myself. I thought you were a true believer. I thought you were. You were always so stinking pious. So were you. I want to laugh, shout, hug her. You can join us. Us, I say? There is an us, then. There's a we. I knew it.
1: Now we're on the precipice of our spoiler discussion. But before we do that, let's take care of some additional business. As you might know, our next community read-along is David Wong's sci-fi comedy, Futuristic Violence and Fancy Suits. Book Club isn't on a regular schedule, but we're going to see about doing it at least at predictable intervals. We'll be recording our next installment in January, so you've got until New Year's to read the new novel and share your take on the book with us on the Nerdy Show forums via email at info at nerdyshow.com or whichever way you prefer to reach out. It's actually kind of a Christmas-themed book, you know, like Die Hard. So if you're following along in real time, it'll add some subtle festiveness to the carnage of the holiday season. If you'd like there to be more consistent Nerdy Show Book Club, well, we need your help. This show and all the shows on the Nerdy Show Network are entirely listener-supported. The more funding we have, the more resources we have, the more content we can make happen. It's easy to do. Even giving a dollar a month makes a world of difference. I mean, really, it it does. That's just $12 a year. That lets us know that we're doing a good job, you like what we're doing, and helps us build a financial base for making Nerdy Show Podcasting a full-time gig for more people than just me. Do it for Book Club! Head to patreon.com nerdyshow And if you donate, you'll get a bunch of bonus content, including early releases and audio at $5 or more, even a collection of deleted content from these past two episodes of book club. Another simple way to help support us financially is to shop on Amazon through our affiliate links. If you go to nerdyshow.com Amazon, anything you buy through those links will give back to us. It could be our next read along book. It could be a bunch of attractive socks. It could be all your holiday shopping. It doesn't matter. Bookmark those links make them your only portal to Amazon, and help us stay afloat. All that said, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you can also help us out for free. Rate and review this series on iTunes, or try Podchaser, a new platform for podcast discovery where you can rate and review not just series, but individual episodes. In fact, here's a recent review by Garrier. The title is Nerdy Show Book Club is a Wonderful Time. Enjoy their light discussion of what they have read. Boggle. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: As they give dramatic readings of some truly terrible fiction, read along and join the discussion as they discuss a wide variety of books. Dive into cyberpunk with William Gibson's Neuromancer. Explore mythic fiction with Neil Gaiman's Ocean at the End of the Lane. Or take a drive through Florida with Carl Heisen's Sick Puppy. I could list the myriad interesting and varied books they've read, or you could just listen yourself. TLDR, this show is funny, interesting, and has exposed me to genres and authors that I wouldn't have encountered otherwise. And I don't regret any of them. Except perhaps Armada. But nobody's perfect. Thanks, Garrier. And thank you for listening. Now come the spoilers, so... If this is where you're getting off, well, we'll see you later. And uh, have fun getting off. Have fun getting off. But I would not think to this book. If so, maybe don't talk to me ever again.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I
3: mean, well, you know, whatever floats your goat, man. <laughs> if you have a goat.
1: Floats <laughs> your <his>
2: goat? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I, not water, because it's a the devil. <laughs> water doesn't work on them. The they devil. breathe underwater. Got it. Spoilers alert. All right. Spoilers. I can go on a rant about it for a little bit. Uh, sure. So how this book made me feel, maybe I'm taking it the wrong way, but it seemed, and I saw a lot of parallels in this book to our own society that if right wing religious extremists got to pass all their laws and have their way, we would have this book. We literally, they literally want this to happen. They want women to stay at home, not be seen, not heard, let the men do everything. Women can't go out by themselves, you know, they can't drive. It's basically everything in our society today that they claim they hate because they're claiming, oh, we hate countries with Sharia law because they treat their women like this and they have to wear veils and they can't go outside. But if you actually listen to right-wing extremists in our own country, they literally want to do the same thing. They would be best friends with the countries they claim to hate. And that was the most frustrating thing to me, the hypocrisy of it all. There are so many bills that are trying to be passed every year that would totally... Help *Handmaid's Tale* become reality, and it's so stupid because they claim to hate societies like that, but they're doing the same shit, same exact shit. Science is bad, religion is good. If you're not the same religion, you're executed. If you're not the same color, you're executed. If you read or write, or, or if you're a doctor that performs abortions, you're executed. Like literally, that is happening in our country, and that's my little rant. It pisses me off. You can disagree if you want, but you're no, wrong. No, I, I, no, I don't. No.
0: <laughs> I don't disagree. I guess maybe, sort of on the flip side of that, I found myself highlighting parts of the book that you could see how sexism and society for women could possibly drive women to accept how they were being treated in Handmaid's Tale. Well, the only in the beginning, I
3: was going to say the only women that in this book that accepted it truly were the ones who were just like, Full blown religious beforehand, like, well, this is what we get. We're sinning women. We deserve well, no, this. This that's, is our lot in not, life. I
0: mean, yes, in this book, there are women who are wives and there are women who are wombs on legs, basically, because the birth rate, much like in many developed countries in this world, was catastrophically low.
3: By some incident that they don't really talk now, about. Yeah, now but in there's the lots book, of toxic waste. In the everywhere. book, it was
0: probably about toxic waste and that sort or of nukes thing, and they we weren't and a know. lot
2: of genetic deformities. In right, babies. they weren't
0: necessarily blaming it on you know people not wanting to have kids, which is what I think is actually the main cause of our decline right, in the it's, birth it's, rate. It's irresponsible to it's do
1: irresponsible so. Because it's irresponsible
0: to do so. But it's more complicated than that when it comes to the economy. It's irresponsible for us to have a bunch of kids. Global wise, yeah. uh, environment wise, unfortunately, not having kids really fucks the economy. So that was just my point in, in arguing there. But it's kind of scary how you could see thinking about these problems in a certain way could lead you to possibly be accepting of the situation that women get put into at first. It turns into total shit show. But the arguments that and I can't remember what the women who trained walking the walking wombs the basically. Aunts, the, the aunts. The aunts yeah. That's right. But there was a statement about women were not protected then. I remember the rules, the rules that were never spelled out, but that every woman knew. And the rules that we as women know in our head about avoiding trouble from men that you could come across any day. So Fred was remembering like she used to run and she misses being able to do that, but she never ran at night. She only ran in the daytime, only besides well-frequented roads, because as a woman, you know that you can be assaulted and that there may be no repercussion for the person who assaults you and that it's your job. I mean, this is what we're, we're taught from a very young age, that it's your job to stay out of that situation. Yeah.
3: And then the religious right would say, well, if something bad happened, you shouldn't have been doing what you were doing. It's your fault, not the man's fault.
2: Right. And I think also just kind of building on that, that was also really powerful to me was I think there's always – this balance of power between, you know, men and women. And there's those men who resent the fact that, you know, women are in the workplace, and they have, you know, their own lives. So like, as all of this was starting, and you know, the women were starting to like, be put into their new roles, and their bank accounts were closed, and they were fired from their jobs. And they were talking about the dynamic between her and her, you know, then husband, and she was saying something like, she realized that he doesn't mind what's happening. And he might even like what's happening because now he's like the sole breadwinner and he's officially taking care of her in some regard.
3: I remember that And then
2: that she scene. says, we're not each other's anymore. Instead, I'm his. So in just that before everything happens, like it's already this possession type dynamic that's happening.
3: You're right. It's not like he was trying to be a dick. He just he's a guy and he was completely oblivious. It's, it's almost like her rights as having being able to own property and her rights as being able to have money were taken away and given to him. But he's like, well, you know, I have the money now, but still, it's both ours. And she's like, no, it's yours. I don't have any rights anymore. And he blew it off as like, well, we're fine. But in reality, because you're a guy, and if you're a girl and everything's taken away and given to someone, even if you love them, you're just still like, that's fucked up. Then my life is no longer mine. I I can do nothing anymore.
1: And the Gilead Society's argument for that, as Aunt Lydia put it to Alfred, she said, there's more than one kind of freedom, freedom to and freedom from. In the days of anarchy, it was freedom too. Now you're being given freedom from. Don't underestimate it. You know, you don't have to worry about going out anymore because now you as a handmaid being able to preserve the human race and everything, you're respected above all else aside from all the, you know, respect that's taken away from you. So it's a horrible trade-off. Yeah.
3: One safety for another.
2: But except there is still those situations apparently because then there was the scene where they're like, this is a guy that raped them and like they like tear him to shit because of it so like it's still not oh yeah and then you find
3: out that like he probably really didn't didn't they just wanted him gone
0: well before finding out that he didn't actually do it I guess even that is something that some women could find attractive
2: and they did the idea
0: because in our society so few sexual assaults are talked about or charges pressed so to be in a society where if it was found out that someone assaulted a woman and they you get to kick the shit out of them and and kill them like that somebody's actually punished yeah i can see how that could be attractive i I mean mean, i think it's totally wrong and and disgusting although i think that men that rape women should go to jail no i think it's forever and ever and ever i think it's
3: great i think if you had a guy (laughs) who's a known rapist and you know doesn't get off in six months for being like a really good athlete in a white rich family (laughs) and you put him in a room with a bunch of women and weapons and they get to do whatever they want to him i'm okay with them you know, televising that live and watching it.
0: Well, thus proving my (laughs) point of how this could be an attractive situation. It's attractive for me. To a woman who is maybe scared of all of these things in their life. They can be what is seen as being pampered, as being taken care of, as being... Cherished in, I, I suppose that's what they're trying to tell you. Well, then they also are. say
3: later that it's a kind of a form of control. Like let them think like they're getting justice. Let them think like they're doing something. Well, for no, themselves. I mean that's and, what obviously that's the, it's that's just, the
0: quote unquote slippery slope. You no, know, it's more that. control.
3: They're getting out some of their anger, but then they're just being controlled. No, again it's, just, the it's
0: just it's just a steam valve, an outlet to make women think they have some input or some say, and that's what it turns into. That's that's the ugly side of it. I'm just talking about how someone could initially maybe be attracted to this idea of this type of existence. It's completely fucked up and wrong. But
3: <laughs> Did she? I have to ask you guys because I completely forgot. She There's a point where she gets a match and she hides it in her mattress. Yeah. yeah. Did she ever do anything with it? No. Okay. No. They never came back to that. Got it.
0: Well, she I was thought just, about it
2: again. I was, She thought, oh, I could use it. Yeah, but she, she the, her the, light her house on fire. The
0: point of that was like it was this little secret, this she bit of something. power that she had. Not only did she own a thing, but a thing that could be destructive, a thing that she could hurt someone or herself with that gave her this tiny, this little infinitesimal spark of I, I have this tiny bit of power.
1: Which is one of the things I think the book does really well in general is it takes observations like that and really breathes a lot of significance into the little things. I mean, I don't think that Margaret Atwood ever was imprisoned at any point in her life, but she certainly seems to have a lot of the nuances of that lockdown of what it's like to be isolated and denied things and focusing on the minuscule details of a room and so on simply because that's all you have.
3: Now, this was only happening in... America, from what I got from the book, because there was a scene kind of near the beginning where there were like some Japanese tourists or something, and they were like wanting to take pictures of them, and they're like, "This is so weird that you guys do this. Are you guys have enjoying yourselves?" And like they weren't allowed to say anything or talk to them.
0: I think it was not just that it was just America; it was only a part of America.
3: Well, from what I read from the end of the book, it was Maine,
0: right? So it was only a very small part of the U.S., which is
3: weird because that's the last place I would picture it happening. It would be in the South somewhere, honestly.
1: It appears to be situated in what would have been the original 13 colonies and the surrounding regions.
0: So, Uh, I mean, if they killed everyone in D.C., which happened, then it would spread from that area, I suppose. Plus, they talked about toxic waste. So it may have been that a lot of the U.S. wasn't habitable at that point, too, but we don't really know from the way the book was written.
1: Granted, especially at the time that this came out, the biggest uh, toxic dump in American history was in New York, you know, Love Canal which is well within the eastern seaboard area that this book yeah. occupies.
3: And and one of the parts of the book where they're basically if you don't fit in but you're not like really against them, you know, you're the same religion but you're too old to have children and you just have no use, they'll send you to the colonies, which is basically internment camps where you work with possibly hazardous toxic materials with no protective gear until you wither away and die. And I can see that happening soon in our society because I remember one of our presidential candidates saying that he had no problem with the internment camps and that basically we need them again. He agreed with the Japanese being in internment camps and that it was a good idea. So yeah, I can can picture it going that way again. There was not a single thing in this book that I was like, that couldn't happen because it seems very plausible. And there are already societies in the world that are exactly like this. Stupid. I'm glad we don't have it here yet. If we did, I'll... At least they made guns easy to get in this fucking country.
0: I would like to think that despite what's going on in the political realm, that we could never really have what exactly happens in this book.
3: I thought we could never get as far as we are today in the political realm. No one did. But here, here we are. But you know
0: what? It's looking like that's going to turn around. So Yeah, we'll see.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Don't underestimate stupidity in the world. But yeah, so it's a very um, uplifting and exciting book about the joys of life And appreciate It'll make you
2: appreciate the life that you have. That's for damn
3: sure. It certainly made me appreciate the fact that I'm not a woman. Sorry for you guys. (laughs) How did you all feel about, by the way, the end of the book, which I guess took place in what I remember as 2145?
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, I really liked it. I thought that I would be wanting more, like wanting to know exactly what happened to her. But I, I actually found it kind of satisfying in a way to know that it was still a mystery and it was something that you could think about. And it went really well, I think, in time with the rest of the book or like with the same tone of the rest of the book of like things being a little bit more open-ended in terms of how things go.
3: I was a little confused with the theme at the end of the book because it seemed to me the theme was the more things change, the more they stay the same because you have this symposium where I assume, and maybe it's just me, it's a bunch of guys talking about these horrible things and they're going, well... Can we really prove the validity? And some of them are making jokes about it and about women at the beginning. Like, it's no big deal. And it's kind of like, well, it's starting all over again, kind of. They're they're not taking it seriously.
2: I don't think it's men talking about this. Well, I don't think they're making fun of women. I thought they were making fun of just like people in that world like we would like look back at people in medieval times and be like as much as we could say they're educated so in the book there is
0: like an underground railroad type of situation for the underground female road here's the part where they were laughing it even says in uh, parentheses laughter we know that this city was a prominent way station on what our author refers to as the underground female road since dubbed by some of our historical wags the Underground Frail Road, and there's laughter and groaning. That's why I assume it's so, all guys. Ah. But I think you're more remembering just the fact that there was something called the Underground Frail Road and how offensive that is, but that's why there's laughter and groaning because I got, they're like, yeah, I that's, I that's, thought, that's fucked up. You know, I thought they were that. still
3: patronizing.
0: <laughs> no, I think when they're laughing in here, it's a lot of times it's more about the academics. They're kind of groaning at the way things were referred to, that academics were referring to certain parts of I us. I
3: suppose.
1: I don't
0: know. I really liked the historical note section i think that's the major problem it's called historical notes so it seems like it's a notes part of the book like right, an appendix it, or some shit <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: like for example ridley walker or clockwork orange all have these appendices because of the world that they exist in and right so on, so. which happens with a lot of books yeah.
0: and it's even like separated like historical notes and there's nothing there i, I see the that digital yeah, it's, copy it's, uh, and then it goes into that's silly yeah. so yeah i noticed when i was rereading it i was like wait i thought there was more to this yeah. And then had to go like oh shit it. Well, thought it was an one after. One thing her I thought was
1: weird is as the third act starts, I feel like Fred's dictation changes as though before I really felt like it was a narrative running through her head and then there was a change, a distinct change. Like, in chapter 41, she says, all of a sudden, turning to the audience, breaking the fourth wall, I'm sorry there's so much pain in this story. I'm sorry it's in fragments. And I was like, what the fuck? Well, because like, you realize oh, yeah. later that she's, like, right oh, yeah, talking. yeah. Yeah, well, all, it's, it's as though all of a sudden it switches to the tape. But Like, also, before it wasn't... I don't feel like before it was written... Exclusively with it in mind that it was being dictated, and then Actually, all of a sudden, I would agree with well, that. Well,
3: no, I disagree because there were parts in the begin near like the be- beginning and middle of the book that I was confused by. where I thought she was talking to us specifically, going like, "Oh, but I I tend to carry on about these things. Maybe I shouldn't talk about these. I I tend to do that. Maybe let's go to another hmm. topic now." Like she says that yeah. early on in the book. Maybe
0: I need to read it. A and third
3: then I was time. like, "Oh, <laughs> she's just talking to the audience." So I was like, "Okay, that's cool." But there's also. The whole part, I think I just realized that most of the beginning part of the book when she's in her head a bit, even though she's narrating it and daydreams a lot, I think she stops doing that later on because she finds an escape that isn't in her head with that other guy, Nick. So she finds an escape that's physical instead of one that's mental. Right. And so she switches from only narrating her past memories into just talking about what she's currently doing.
0: I have to point out this thing in the first page of the historical notes that I just read, and I, I, I must have just read quickly over it. The very first paragraph saying what it is, like a partial transcript of the proceedings of the twelfth symposium on gilladean studies held as part of the International Historical Association convention held at the University of Denae None of it.
3: Oh, that's uh,
0: Denay. <laughs> none of it. Wow. I was like, what? What? Let me
3: see that. Let me see that. None of it. Margaret Atwood. That's goofy.
0: I didn't notice until just now. The University of Denae None of, of it. it. <laughs>
1: So, I mean, overall, I thought this was a really phenomenal book to read. I'm so excited to have read it because it was so well-written. The experience of being imprisoned and of existing in this horrible world was so well-rendered. On a
3: scale of Armada to 10, <laughs> how could or Armada-ish is wait, it? Wait, wait, wait. Is Armada 1? Uh, Armada 0. I mean, it's like a 10. Okay, well, yeah. there you go.
1: It is really scary. I mean, I'm a queer person, so that puts me. I guess I get hung on a on a
2: hook. That's oh, you'd be dead because yeah. you which can't is, make babies. Which is great. And like that's, that's that's yeah. You that's don't have preferred. to suffer through that like, shit.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could pretend. I could like I could bottle up all my queerness and like pretend to be male and work for the underground female road. But that sounds horrible,
3: and I'd probably fuck up. I'd probably let it slip somewhere. I can't pull that off.
0: There's a problem with my uterus, so I'd probably be dead too.
3: Honestly, Cap, you just. Just grow a beard and just, that's it. Just, that's I think good. I'd rather be dead. <gasps> okay.
0: I that's, think I'd rather take someone out with me.
3: I guess that's the thing that sucks yeah. is if you're a guy, <laughs> if you're a guy, you at least have, if you're a white guy in that society, you at least have a choice to try to fake it. Yeah, yeah. you, you if could you're, try to fake it. If could, you're a woman, you can't fake it. If you're like, if you're you
0: ethnic, could, you can't you fake could it. You could fake it and... Join the underground female road. That would be
1: really noble of me. Maybe that's the thing to do. But I guess there's some <laughs> consolation in that. I mean, maybe they'd shoot me off to the colonies, but that maybe I'd just die. And like, mm. that's one of the best things that could happen to you in this situation. You don't want to go to the colonies. Yeah. yeah the probably, colonies fucking really suck. I mean, radiation poisoning. That's a horror show. I don't ever want to experience that in my mm. life. It's a great book, though. A horrifying, bleak, but uh, but a great book. And I'm excited to, uh, to read a comedy for the next book club. <laughs> I think that was a, uh, a very good uh, change of pace. <laughs>
0: Uh, I stand by my assessment that this book should be firmly in the horror section of the bookstore, even especially so with the ending being open-ended, because it's like a ghost story, (laughs) and they never (laughs) knew what happened to her after that.
3: Oh, man, sequel. and she haunts the
1: symposium.
0: (laughs) And she haunts the symposium.
1: This book is, as we've seen from the comments from fans, it's in some high schools. Not enough high schools, I would dare say. I don't think that was ever an option for me. All I
3: read was like Wuthering Heights. No, I was Unless like, literally, a yeah.
2: senior year when I dropped out, I, I never. The hell
0: else
3: heard did I read? Like that's it.
2: My I don't school think sucks. Schools in the South wouldn't let that.
3: Yeah, but, <laughs> well, I,
0: I went to you. school in Maryland, so. Okay, that's not the. Yeah, deal, they made me read a
3: Bible and they made me read Wuthering oh. Heights.
0: I'm also 35, so it's possible it got put into a curriculum. After
3: it's possible. Yeah, but I mean,
1: it's 20,
0: 20 years after you were done with it, school my time. It should be
3: read.
1: It's important to be confronted with
0: I read the crucible,
1: you know potential consequences Having freedoms taken away even though it's not science fiction. No, it's dystopian fiction, but there's some
3: toxic waste in there in cattle prods We'll call it science <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: But I, th- I think it's a very important book. It's worth the price of entry It's worth the discomfort of doing it because it'll stick with you. It'll make you think and especially now
2: well, it's actually definitely worth the price of entry if you are a Kindle Unlimited subscriber because it's free with Kindle Unlimited. Or so. if you have a
0: digital library loan system like we have.
2: So it's a free book, and it's not
3: that long, and it's a good read if you don't mind crying all over your body. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Today, I'm going to cry on my toes. Yeah. You, know, you got to just start at the bottom.
1: I'm going to hide
2: out. under my blankets for the rest of my life.
1: <laughs> and that's all of our discussion from 2016. Now, we catch up with Brandon, Denica, and I talking Handmaid's Tale one year later.
0: Is it exactly a year? <laughs> it,
1: it is. It has been a, a few days over exactly a year. Yeah. We obviously planned wow. that.
0: Obviously. That was planned.
1: Well, Yeah, you wanted to see whether or not Trump would win the election and how that would affect you know, your oh, interpretation of the book. crap. Was that
0: before Trump? Oh. Yes.
1: A
3: lot has happened. My original thoughts when I first read A Handmaid's Tale was it was stretching it a bit. But now, after witnessing the past year with mine own eyes and ears, I have realized: well, this is this is the future we're gonna have. I don't see any way we're not having that type of future. So my perspective has changed uh, a lot, because <laughs> now I just I see how many idiots exist in this country, and I'm just like, oh man, we are heading down that road, and nobody's stopping it at all. Yeah. Congrats, everyone.
0: I think I would say that. What part of that book that seems more likely... Because I still don't think we would have...
3: A constitution completely based on religion and oppression of women?
0: No, that I do think, (laughs) but I don't think it would go so far as like sexual slavery and the sorts of things that were actually happening to the women in the book. But what I do think is more likely is the way that the government coup went down. That seems less and less absurd every day
1: the act took out anyone who would oppose this regime that was bubbling underneath the surface
0: right that's the part that seems more likely and more scary
1: you know I have been thinking about that all year long <laughs> that exact part so let's all file this away <laughs> Alex Jones might you know scream about false flag operations but should anything
3: like that happen that would might be a real false flag operation in better news though Margaret Atwood was up for a Nobel Prize for her writings, not just because of Handmaid's Tale, but just her writings in general. She didn't win, but she did get nominated. The
0: Nobel Prize for Literature? literature? Yeah, Yeah,
3: but they said her writing style is clairvoyant and usually predicts things years before they even happen, and she wrote Handmaid's Tale in the 80s, and it's very relevant right now. I mean, it took some time, but we got there. We're getting there, guys.
1: Well, I can only hope that her comic book, Angel Catbird, is also clairvoyant. (laughs)
3: Did she write Angel Capper?
1: She did. It's very strange. It reminds me of some comics I wrote in middle school. It has this very naive charm to what a comic book should be. And, you know, when you get hit with some science and you get attacked by a bird and also a cat at the same time, you <laughs> might turn into an angel cat bird and then also meet this cat
3: Dracula. And, uh, hmm. wait, she wrote a. Okay, I'm staring at it. Mar- the same Margaret Atwood. The same Margaret Atwood. I have no comments. I'm looking at it and going, wow, okay. Just got some muscular bird guys. There's like a cat dude. It's clearly for kids, and it's full
1: of facts about taking care of birds and cats, huh. but it's also <laughs> extremely sexual. So if you want to read perhaps the definition of a mixed bag, check out Margaret Atwood's <laughs> <laughs> Angel Catbird.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to equate that with anything else I've read by Margaret Atwood, and it just doesn't sound right. But I haven't read all of her work, so...
1: At the time we recorded this episode originally, the Hulu Handmaid's Tale adaptation had just been announced, but at this point, you guys have seen all of it,
3: so yes. I haven't seen it yet. How was it? It was frighteningly good. <laughs> I may mean, I not know
0: how else to describe that it. That sums it up. That's it's, a good pull quote. It's upsettingly good.
3: <laughs> I think it's pretty well written, well acted, and uh, very nerve wracking.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really hard to watch. It's really good, but yeah, as a woman, it's really hard to watch. The adaptation's not 100% true to the book, but because the book is a past tense story of a character that you don't actually know the full story of what happened, there was a lot of room for them to expand on the story of the book without making you angry that it's not exactly the way it happened. I mean, there's a couple points that are different that they did go off script when they had a script for it but a lot of it is just that there was there was open areas to do stuff.
1: So what's the structure like in terms of
3: the show's narrative structure versus the book's narrative structure? Where does it start? She's already in the thick of things. Throughout the entire season, you don't know exactly everything that goes on, but like at least every episode or two there will be a few flashbacks of the past of like people's lives, how things went down, how it was like slow and methodical. In the first episode, you just you're in A Handmaid's Tale. She's wearing her red gown. She goes to her new house, just like you know the very beginning of the book. Yeah. And, you, and you don't really know anything about this world, but you will see it more than it was in the book. You will see a series of flashbacks that they elaborate on in the show that they never talked about in the book. It, it is different, but I, I think it may surpass the book in storytelling.
0: I would say yeah. that it's not really structured that much differently from the book because in the book, you don't know that it's a yeah, past it's, it's tale until similar. you get to the end anyway. Yeah. And there are flashbacks for other characters that you wouldn't have seen in the book because the book was all from one person's perspective. That's cool. Who do you get? Well, you get her best friend. You get her husband. Yeah, like he's actually in the show at some point. You get flashbacks from the commander and his wife. They get their own kind of separate flashbacks there, not just them as a couple. So like Mm -hmm. there's stuff where the main character talks about who Serena Joy was originally Mm -hmm. so you get a little bit of that in the book but this flashback is actually from her from Serena Joy's perspective and her joining the movement actually helping to spearhead the movement and
1: is the narrative of the book different in terms of the nature of Gilead and what's going on there did it update the scenario to something more concurrent to today I think it's pretty accurate No. no I mean it's not I was asking mostly because I'd be surprised
3: if it did because It already nailed it so well. The only thing they elaborated on was more of the forces outside Gilead, like what's Canada up to? And you can see what they've been doing for the people trying to escape America. and and Mexico. Do you see the size of Gilead? Because we were debating that in the episode. They talk every now and then about like from here to here, but they don't really... I'm
0: trying to remember if they... They may have actually given us a better scope of the size, but I can't remember for sure. I don't think you get it till towards the end.
3: I think the show and the book do that thing where they kind of want... To leave it up to your imagination, how big right. you think it is. Is are there some states fighting left? Yes, but how big is Gilead? I don't know. Is it just the east side? Is it the west side? Is it the northeast? I'm not 100% sure. And how do they handle the wimple? Did they do it? Did they do what the film did with the stupid, very thin
1: veil? Or
0: no, it's a it's like a flying nun. Okay, so it's like, like it's, it's
1: book accurate then. Yeah.
0: Here's the thing cool. I was upset about. Well, and... not as not as as a flying nun that's you had it you
3: had to point this out to me danica and i was really upset because in the book they always talk about how they put their wings on and i was picturing these really cool helmets with like white wings like valkyries and stuff <laughs> no they're just those stupid like nun habit things yeah i was like where are the wings i was real i was like danica dude. where are the wings she's like that's not what they meant in the book it was right on the cover <laughs> of the book dude i don't care the they kept the saying they put these they we put our wings on i was like that's really cool i want to wear some and then no they're not wings don't confuse me hashtag i upset brandon nobody knows what that is but you will soon
0: there's genital mutilation
3: oh fuck
1: me
0: I mean they don't show it happen but there's genital mutilation so
1: female circumcision is a part of the Gilead uh, it happens
0: to a specific character if you still have the ability to bear children you're still useful to them
3: basically they they take away all your pleasure and then you can just have babies and that's what you're good for and oh, right
0: kind of ridiculous cuz like i like in do- africa yeah. i doubt you'd be having any pleasure
3: and the the ceremony for conceiving a baby is you know pretty graphic in the show as compared to but yeah the it's book. A,
0: it's exactly like the book yeah
3: that
1: sounds like a very painful watch would you recommend it
3: yes
0: no i would totally recommend <laughs> it most of the abuse is woman on woman that's probably one of the most painful things but that's in the book as well as in the yeah. show the way that women can turn against each other okay. or can be made to turn against each sure, other. True, but
3: the way they talk about it in the book and show it in the cinematic version of the show is you really don't have a choice in some situations. Like, if you don't, you're kind of going to be murdered. And then, like,
0: in some situations, but there are situations women. where there are women in power. I feel like the Serena Joy character isn't necessarily happy with what's going on. Well, because she got exactly what she, planned. she She got what she thought thought she planned, but then didn't bargain for being forced out of power and not being able to read, even though she's the one who helped put all of these structures in place. Oh, she's
1: more important than I thought she was in the book. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow.
0: She works with the commander. She helps put together this coalition of people. The flashbacks are basically like, look, this is how much work she did towards this, and now she's completely marginalized. She's subservient to the commander when she was the brains in that relationship, at least, Mm. at the very least. It was
3: a very house of cards relationship.
0: A little bit, yeah.
3: She was the smart female, the driving force, and then she kind of got thrown to the side after a bit. I didn't realize that they were like the tip top. I thought they were like just near the tip top.
0: No, they're totally the tip top. I think they're near. There's, there's a, there's well, a yeah, no, I'm sorry. They're, they're, not, they're not the tippy top. They're on
3: a committee. There is
0: a committee is, and there is somebody higher than the commander, but, but I think only a very few people higher than, than Alfred's commander.
1: Hmm. And that's all she wrote. The first season of Hulu's Handmaid's Tale is now on other platforms and we'll link to where you can buy it on this episode's page. Season two is on the way in 2018, if we make it that long. And the discussion on Handmaid's Tale doesn't have to end here. If you've got any new discussions to add, keep them coming. And uh, if you really want to change of pace, definitely check out our next read-along book, Futuristic Violence and Fancy Suits by David Wong. It's not a particularly nice future, but it is at least a hell of a lot more fun. Though, you don't have to take my word for it. Butterfly.